Let's ask God's blessing. Dear Lord, we're grateful for your word. Help us listen. In your son's name, amen. As you can tell from the sermon notes, it's not always the case that the pastor remembers to put the passage or the reference at the top, but this time I did. It's Isaiah 66, the last book, last chapter of Isaiah. And Isaiah is probably your ultimate Old Testament prophet in terms of how close he is to the coming of the Messiah, how uh, long his prophecies are, 66 chapters. And uh, in it, and obviously there's an awful lot of quotations in the New Testament, from the book of Isaiah. And it's one of those remarkable uh, books also historically in that we have a copy of it from before Christ. One of the, uh, uh, the, the Isaiah scroll at the Dead Sea Scrolls was the bleak book of Isaiah from hundreds of years before Jesus. So the things that pointed to Jesus Christ in that are actually physically preceding the physical copy we have. Now, you recognize, as you read through Isaiah, you recognize common phrasings. You might even recognize this one. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house which you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things are mine, says the Lord. Now the temple has already been built. Isaiah is prophesying around late 700s BC. And uh, so it's a couple, 150 years before the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. The temple in Jerusalem has been built by Solomon. Uh, in the 900s and it's been there for a long time and the Jews are very conscious of it and there's an awful lot of disobedience uh, regarding the Jews but Isaiah steps into this having prophesied an awful lot of mercy and destruction all through if you ever get a chance to read through Isaiah do so and and uh, pick up on all of the things that he is concerned with. But, here at the end of the book, he, he lets you know that the, a, a temple is insufficient as an expression. Paul says the same thing in Athens uh, when he's talking to the Athenians. I don't have the passage on your sermon notes, but in Acts 17, he says... The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, like suggested here, the earth is the heaven and the earth are his throne and footstool, does not live in shrines made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. You know this is true. Now what the temptation you feel. And, and, and you know that as a kind of roughly Anabaptistic church, 
And I'm always warning you about the pointy windows in the building and the steeple. We're conscious that people get caught up in liturgical or architectural um, niceties, like temples and like fancy churches. They had a bunch of fancy church stuff for the inauguration, you know, and you're sitting there watching things in the National Cathedral going, oh heavens, where's the Lord Jesus Christ when you need him? Uh, but then you're thankful for things like Franklin Graham. I don't know if you saw his prayer. And he laid the Lord Jesus Christ out for everybody. Now, what we wonder when we deal with religion and is what does the idea of location have to do with it? You say, oh my gosh, there's going to be a sermon on location, location, location. It's all a matter of, you know, we got a nice location here in our church, right? It's on 6th Street, right, right near the co-op, so all you dirt cookie-eating hippies could go get your <laughs> coffee at the right place and be seen with the social justice warriors, just like you like. It's perfect. I mean, we got a free parking lot. The federal government provides it. They don't work on Sunday. And you can park in the federal parking lot across the street from our church. It's a blessed place. But our religion, you know our religion is not located here. There's basic tensions that when you deal with religion, this desire, ever talk to somebody who says, well, I, I think, you know, being out in nature, uh, I'd rather be close to God, I feel closer to God when I'm camping. Oh, yeah. yeah, you're hunting, is what you're doing. Closer to God. Or on the golf course, I feel closer to God on the golf course. It seems like God is supporting the golf course thing here. The heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. What is the house which you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things are mine, says the Lord. He said, I, I fill heaven and earth. You're going to locate me? You're going to craft a place for me to sit, are you? Now, when I ask the question, what role does location have, and you have God stepping into the question of location and saying, hold it. <clears throat> you don't have the right view of location, even though for hundreds of years you've been worshiping in a temple that I helped you build and I designed. I'm not that, that's not what I'm like. It's not just a New Testament idea. It's not just the New Testament idea that Jesus Christ comes along and says, you know, all that Old Testamenty stuff is a shadow, and this is the real. The Old Testament prophets were saying, it's a shadow. But when you see someone stepping away from churchiness, and, and we, we, we do our best here to have a church free of any programs, okay? There's nothing you have to attend. We know we have to bribe you to go to anything. So if I offer you food at my house, free drinks, yes, well, I'll think about coming. You know, uh, you know, if we offered heroin for, you know, something, you might show up. 
So we, we avoid that sort of thing, but nonetheless, people still get caught up in thinking a certain way that the question is, and, and they might think of themselves in a superior way about having a more low church function because it's closer to this sort of acknowledgement. What are the kind of temple you're going to build? When you go into a, you know, I've been into a few cathedrals in Europe and, and yeah, they impress you. You feel like God's there. You don't walk in here and go, I think God's here. You say, yeah, you might think an old Baptist preacher from the 1800s. That's about it. But not God. You walk into a cathedral in Europe and you go, I know they don't believe in Jesus Christ, but it feels like God's here. So we know those tensions, but that might not be what God's about at all. As soon as he says to, to stave off the temple, do not trust these deceptive words, this is the temple of the Lord. He says, I am the God who's enthroned in the heavens. My, the earth is my ottoman. All these things my hand has made, and so all these things are mine, says the Lord. But this is the man to whom I will look. Oh, it's in red, so it must be important. He that is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Now, what? as I was looking at this, I was going, again, I'm a radical Anabaptist. I naturally tend towards low church stuff. I like beauty and services. I like having a charming little church, but it's still, still, I, if you've heard me preach enough sermons railing against, you know, the godlessness of the flying buttress of the pointed arch. But it seems like God took a left-hand turn here. Like, like he was about to say, you know, you're closer to me in nature, my children. All the things, all the things are mine. The whole world. You can worship me anywhere. Except the co-op. <laughs> I hope the owner of the co-op never joins our church. I, <laughs> that and John's Alley. Because I don't like being objects of... He takes a left-hand turn and says, This is the man to whom I will look. And the guy, he doesn't say, This is the man to whom I will look. The one who stands outside and sees me in the heavens. Or sees the earth as my footstool. Or um, understands that temples can't contain. Well, it's true. But he's not saying, That's what I want. He's saying, I will look at this guy. If he's humble, contrite, and trembles at my word. Now, it seems like we might not have asked the correct question. There is a, a true distinction that on one hand, that it can be confusing because you see God designing the tabernacle in the Old Testament, the beauty of it and the the embroidery on it and um, all sorts of things like that and then that design was transferred by Solomon by God's permission into the temple in Jerusalem which was then you know rebuilt by Ezra after the destruction of Nebuchadnezzar which was then rebuilt remodeled by Herod and the presence of God dwelt in the temple in Jerusalem there's no doubt about that At the same time, God is saying, this is all, I don't dwell in shrines made by 
hand. We can get sidetracked by saying which one of those sets we're in. And he says, we're not in those sets. We're in the sets of, are you humble? Are you contrite? And when you read these words, if you're, I don't know if you read the King James Version, but don't. Um, but even this version, this is RSV, is a little, it's a little archaic. People don't use words like contrite. Little Johnny, are you contrite? Mom, are you crazy? Why are you talking like that? Well, contrition, contrite, is a more beautiful word for being... What, what would you say when someone is contrite? Tragic, I have it here. Tragically aware of our failings. Are you ever tragically aware of your failings? Because that's who God's looking for. He's looking for someone humble who understands what, where he is in the height of the cosmos. The cosmos. You've heard me talk about the vortex of infinite perspective in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. You know that you're nobody compared to the size of this universe that God made that is nothing compared to him. It's his footstool. His throne is the sky. So, he's looking for somebody who understands his place. One of the basic... Resisting commenting on the internet is a great spiritual gift. But you know how hard it is. And it's all sorts of issues. You might be a Second Amendment fan. You may be a First Amendment fan. You might be anti-abortion. You might be all sorts of... You might hate Donald Trump as long as, you know, it's possible to hate somebody. I don't know what you might think. But one of the basic things, as you look at it, you begin to realize... It doesn't really matter what these people are saying. Even the ones I agree with, they seem like they're above themselves. God's looking for humble people. God's looking for humble people. I've been thinking a lot about the passage in James 3 the last couple of weeks. I don't know if it'll end up in a sermon at some point, but it's on teachers. And it says they're supposed to show their good life in the meekness of wisdom. They're supposed to show their good life in the meekness of wisdom. All these arguing notions about different things, wouldn't it be nice if everybody shut up and said, okay, five years, we'll come back to the same spot. You live by your ideas, I'll live by mine. We'll see who turns out. Whose children love them, whose marriages are intact. Let's just, five years, that's all we need. We want to, God wants to find people that recognize their place. And secondarily, don't assume that their likes and dislikes are actually moral uh, parallels to God. There's a child crying out for mommy down the stairs. Mommy has gone. The... uh, and I mention these things in talking with my father in the last few weeks. He's, he's on a... He's trying to make himself unpopular by the time he dies. Uh, by talking about sin a lot. And he, he's going to put it together. He may share some things with me to 
to pass on to you. But one of the basic things is when lists like this come up, humble, contrite, and trembling, not just read through it, because one, those words with their dated usage, they're poetic, they land on your ear to almost tickle your ear. Ah, contrite. Tragically aware of your failings, and the last one, trembles at my word, and you're looking at this next thing in my notes, and you're going, what? It was a line of, is it Archibald Mulliner? In the, uh, the wooing of Archibald Mulliner, or something like that. The fiery wooing of Archibald Mulliner. A short story, in which he accidentally takes a nerve tonic that his uncle has invented, that was the elephant strength version, not the man strength version, and he went from a diffident curate, a, a weak-willed, spineless, you know, amoeba, amoeba, to a dominant character where his landlady, who wouldn't come to him with a hot water bottle when he requested it, he's a, again, a minister, he says, I want a little less back chat and a few more water bottles. That's what God is saying to you. A little less back chat and a little more obedience. What? And of course the landlady is all suddenly obedient when Archibald Mulliner gets this way. You have to read the story. It's funny. But those are the kinds of things you need to be saying, I don't want to walk past. God's looking for this. This is the man to whom I will look. Not the one who's standing with a real romantic sense of sublimity on the golf course, because that golf courses are lovely, or out there in the woods with the majesty of a waterfall and an elk. Or a dead elk, if you prefer that. <laughs> or someone who's, you know, all gussied up in his monk-like robes and standing at the end of a long, long sanctuary swaying incense. I don't know what you think is holy. God's looking for somebody who knows his place, knows he was wrong, and scared spitless by the presence of God saying something. And consequently, whether you believe this is the word of God or not, it's a remarkable claim that it's the word of God. And if you're kind of liberal, you think, well, not everything is in the word of God. Find the parts that are and tremble at it. It's not something we get to change once, once we find out that the question isn't fighting over what kind of church service you have. But how and to whom we listen. He who slaughters an ox, verse 3, is like him who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb, like him who breaks a dog's neck. He who presents a cereal offering, like him who offers swine's blood. He who makes a memorial offering of frankincense, like him who blesses an idol. These have chosen their own ways, and their soul delights in their abominations. Now, basically saying there's no difference in these people. Kill a man, kill an ox, offer something sacrificial, break a dog's neck. 
Cereal offered swine blood. Swine is an unclean animal. So these guys, they're not about what religion is. And if we run away from the sacrificial system because Jesus Christ set us free from the sacrificial system, set us free from the law, set us free from priestcraft, no reason on the planet we should go running back to that. But that we run to something else just because we have a better cosmology, just because our ecclesiology is a little bit more, you know, real, like people. I hope that when I talk to you up here, it's talking to you the same way I would talk to you in my library. I don't have a microphone in my library, but I want one. Now, you, you've heard pastors that talk like pastors. It's called unction, the anointing. They say things like God. I don't know how to do it. Yeah, I never went to seminar. We have almost a prissy level of Anabaptist superiority. You've met the prissy priestcraft type of people, right? I, I, I've known a lot of pastors like this, and they're just into liturgy and they're into whatever it is they do in their denomination. And you're going, oh, why can't you be more? What's the word now that young people are using? More authentic. But we could, we could be just as bad because we're so full of ourselves and being so casual. I mean, it's, it's barely, I, I almost take pride in the fact that my socks might not match. I don't know, I haven't checked. They probably match. I preached Christmas Day in jeans. You said, oh. I used to always do that. But we can be full of, you might say, the more real God is present everywhere. God is in his heaven. The, foot is his, the earth is his footstool. All things are his. There's nothing that I can escape from God. So whatever I'm doing can be a prayer. Whatever I can do, doing can be worship. And we chase after God's comment in verse 1. Matthew 5, here on the sign. Again, you have heard that it was said to the men of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool. Recognize the passage? Or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair of your one of your hairs white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. I bring that passage up not just because he echoes the Isaiah passage, but because he says, don't turn that into religion either. Because that's what the Romantics got into back in the... You know, the, you know, hiking through central Austria and looking out over... You ever see the painting by Caspar uh, David Friedrich? I think it was, um, as a wanderer, you know, a man in a frock coat 
standing on a precipice, the fog and the clouds, and man's nobility in nature. Spiritual, like a cathedral. Don't think that because we're Prissy Anabaptists with low church affections that we're achieving something here. <coughs> Don't swear by these things. These are not religious deeds that we have or, 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 or stages. That God is throned in heaven is not something you then have a religious reaction to in the way you're thinking. That I could swear by it. It's obviously important. I could swear by God's throne. Or heavens above. Heavens to Murgatroyd. I don't know what that means. Simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Who are, simply, who are you? Simply, do you know the person you ought to be discovering you are standing before God where you listen to him? I would be happy meeting some liberal individual who I had convinced to listen to God. That's all. If they went looking to hear God, no matter where they found him, and that they knew they were nobody, and they knew they had been wrong, and they trembled at his word, I'd be happy to visit them in five years. Because they would have heard some things that frightened them, that corrected them. They knew they could take it. It's people who are proud, who aren't sorry, and don't listen. I also, verse 4, will choose affliction for them and bring their fears upon them, because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not listen. But they did what was evil in my eyes and chose that in which I did not delight. Now, the Acts passage, you say, that was pretty short, a bit of Isaiah. I thought that, I mean, a lot of Isaiah. And, well, I, as I looked at this passage, and I was looking at the quotation of it in Acts, Stephen quotes it in his message to the Jews before they kill him. Quotes this, Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. He said, hmm, let's go visit that. It was a powerful sermon, obviously. When someone kills you at the end of it, you can know you reached, you reached them. And I, you know, picking up most of the way through it, Acts seven thirty seven. This is the this is the Moses who said to the Israelites, "God will raise up for you a prophet from your brethren, as He raised me up." This is he who, it, who was in the congregation in the wilderness when the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with her fathers, and he received living oracles to give to us. Okay? Now this is, I, I took it all the way back to here. This is long before the quote occurs. But this is the beginning of this, his lineup after the patriarchs of the Jews' negative response to God. Prior ones, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they had been obedient. But now, Moses is telling them what God has said. And verse 39, our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods to go before us. As for this Moses who led us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. 
And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and rejoiced in the works of their hands. What happens if you do not listen to God, if you don't know your place, if you're not sorry for what you've done and you don't listen to God or tremble at his words, you will, wherever you end up, a naturalist romantic or a high church Protestant, wherever you end up, you're going to be building your own religion. You're going to be building it to one degree like you want it to be. And if it's, you just have enough Jesus in there to make you feel better, don't think you're not doing it. As I said before about this moment with Aaron, he said, this is the God that led you up out of the land of Egypt. That identified the golden calf with Yahweh. You could identify the religion that we have in our Anabaptist prissiness with Jesus. But Jesus, our God, is looking and has a relationship for those who have confessed their sins, called on the name of the Lord to be saved, have listened and believed him. Decided that no, not, the, not America and the Constitution, not some liberal, you know, social professor telling me what's right and wrong in my universe but my God who tells me what's right and wrong in my universe. Because if I don't listen to what the angels of the Lord had told Moses, I'm going to go over here and make for myself, I'm still going to be religious, I'm still going to make gods. But God turned and gave them over to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you offer to me slain beasts and sacrifices forty years in the wilderness? O house of Israel, and you took up the tent of Moloch and the star of the god Rephan, the figures which you made to worship, and I will remove you beyond Babylon. That's out of Amos. People inside the church are constantly sliding back and forth on this scale of am I more low and more regular and more outdoorsy in my affections, more less building and institutional, or am I more institutional, you know, high church, high church, low church? I want to warn you, being low church people, that God is still looking for people who know their place. And we can get above ourselves, thinking of ourselves as, you know, kind of free citizens. We get to do church the way we want. We don't belong to any denomination. You don't have to join, the, you know, those of you who are new here don't know that we don't have a membership. I am not even a member because there's no membership to be members of. We just come here. We like being with each other. We bought a building. Stuff happens, okay? That, that sort of thing works out. But God's not looking for that. I think it's, it's a handy way to do it. I recommend it. God's still looking for people who will listen to him. Not just listen, but tremble at what he says. Verse 44, our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, even as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it, according to the pattern that he had seen, as we talked about earlier, the, the tabernacle was God-designed. Our fathers, in turn, brought it in with Joshua when they, they dispossessed the nations, but God thrust out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked leave to find a habitation for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. 
He gave you a little short history. God working with the people of Israel and he made a tabernacle and they carried it through the wilderness, brought it with Joshua and then David wants to build something nicer and became not even so his son is able to do it. Ta-da! Solomon's temple. Verse 48, yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made with hands as the prophet says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you be build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Did not, not my hand make all these things? That's what Stephen throws against the wall. He says, yeah, these things happen, and yeah, you, you, you were making too much of God narrowing and placing his name and, and functioning in those shadows. God made those shadows, but he made the shadows as shadows. We are always supposed to recognize the more ultimate truth. And not so that we could run back to worshiping outside more in tune with nature. But we'd understand what he really cares about. Because the only thing that Jesus Christ does, it not just, just, doesn't just destroy the temple and the priesthood and all the laws of the Jews. It designs a life by which someone who is humble, contrite, and trembling is able to live the holy life. What happens is these people were so caught up in the temple that they were guarding as Jews that when Stephen says this, and then he ramps it up a bit, verse 51, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. And it's not because Stephen was far more interested in God accepting all prayers of all kinds of religions around the world, no matter what. Because really, what does it matter that it be in Jerusalem? He's not a diversity professor trying to move you to not care. He's telling you the truth. Isaiah told you the truth, that God's throne is heaven. His footstool is the earth. I own that stuff. I don't have to ask permission. You don't have to go someplace to find me. He's objecting to three things. And I don't think, you know, when I look back at that verse 2 in Isaiah, and we have humble contrite, trembling. I don't think this verse is there to be the three opposite, the flip side of those, but they turn out kind of to be. Stiff-necked. Ever talk to somebody who's, yeah, I'm kind of stubborn. Shut up. Quit it. Quit being so full of yourself. When you're stubborn, I mean, irrationally, I'm going to side with me. My way. I don't want to do it your way. I'm going to do it my way. Stiff-neckedness. Uncircumcised in heart, which means, when the, you see this in the scriptures, other places, that means you're unconverted. Like, not contrite. 
in spirit. You have not gone to God saying, I have sinned. I need forgiveness. Without conversion, without circumcision of the heart, and then always resisting the Holy Spirit. That sounds like someone who does not get wide-eyed and knees smiting themselves one against another when the Holy Spirit says things. What do you think of what God said? Do you understand that divine things have been done and said? As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did not your fathers persecute? Had they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered? You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. The fact that the religion is lying around human history in heaps. And true religion is lying around in big heaps. People with the right doctrines. People with the right history of people with the right doctrines. That's what the Jews had too. If you are not the person that God is looking for, if you think it's one of the choices along the continuum of theology or ecclesiology, ecclesiology is how you run a church. That's your view of the church. If you think you're going to find that these people seem really real, does God found you as really real? Have you proved to God who you are? Things that have happened down through history. Um, I have these three things here. Divine things have been spoken. Divine words have been written. Divine visions have been given. And uh, that's what happens next. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. They ground their teeth against him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and then he made a mistake. He told them that. Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. We're here, we're here as Christians who pursue knowing who he is following what he said, listening to the, to the great guidance he gives you, changing our minds to comport itself with his, and that even saying things that are completely unthinkable that will cost you all of your friendships, might cost you your job. Because you see Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of the Father. They cried out with a loud voice and stomped their ears and rushed together upon him. Then they, this wasn't an altar call. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. Which I don't imagine is a good way to go. And witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Who will be back into this story later? As they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he knelt down and cried with a loud voice, 
Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Are we the kind of people that would rather have religion of one form or another? You might say, I've got a better cosmology than you, so I have a better religious practice than you. Or are we looking for a way to be the person God wants to find? To become someone like Stephen, to be someone right now, you are the kind of person who needs to be forgiven by Stephen. Would you be tempted if he spoke in such a way that insulted your church to hit him in the head with a rock? I've seen Christians in, which they call themselves Christians, in circumstances in church over a church issue be almost physically violent. It is not unlike man to be that way. It's because we're trying to be the kind of religion that we have wanted to design. We have raised idols. We call them Christian things, but we still raised idols. And we worship them. And it's no different from us killing a bull and killing a man. Offering a sacrifice and wringing a dog's neck, we just... We need to be different kinds of people. God is answering a different question. God is saying, I'm looking for a different sort of thing. So when you see the heaven as his footstool, not excuse me, the earth is his footstool, and all things belonging to Christ, including the temple, including the great religious moment, don't have to reject one for the other. I know that's not what I'm about. I can rejoice in them. But start to design your life honestly about what you've done. What, who you are, what you've done. What has God proved you to be? And what do you think of what he said? Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful for you having spoken so much to us. And spoken to the prophet Isaiah. Spoken to us through your son Jesus Christ, the servant of the mountain. Spoken to us in the deacon Stephen's death. We'd ask that we would stop and understand that this is all yours. And it's not what religion we can design around it. It's whether or not we have come to grips with who we are and who we need to be before you. Thank you. In your son's name. Amen.